Last week, I directed you backward to the risk takers of the Bible. And today, I want to direct you forward to risks that God is calling you and me to take today. The verse that I want to direct your attention to, first of all, is number 16. In the text that David just read, it says, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and kinsmen and friends, and some of you they will put to death. The key word for my purposes in that verse is the word some. Some of you they will put to death, but not all of you. Some of you will be just fine. Some of you will escape serious persecution, and some of you will be killed. And you don't know which group you're in, and Jesus does not mean for you to know which group you're in. And therefore, life is risk. It is meant to be risk for the cause of God. And I have four kinds of risks I'm going to commend to you from Scripture this morning. First, risks in relationships. Now keep in mind, I am talking about risk for the cause of God. Not just any old risk you might take, but for righteousness sake. Relationships. I have in mind two kinds of risks here. I'm only going to talk about the first one, however. One would be the risk in a relationship to admit that something's wrong, that there's a struggle, that there's a sin inside, and the willingness to seek help with it. The other side of the risk would be to go to somebody that you think has a problem and love them enough to tell them that and to help them find solution to it. Now, I'm only going to focus on the first one this morning. We, we don't have much time. In Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, He who conceals the, his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. James chapter 5, verse 16, makes very clear that this confession is, is to be with each other and not just to God. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. That's risky business. It is so much easier, in the short run at least, just not to tell anybody what you're dealing with. So much easier to keep bottled up that bondage and struggle with lust, with homosexual inclinations, with anger, with food, with alcohol. So much easier in the short run just not to have to worry with the hassles of relationship difficulties. About a year ago, um, Noel got a phone call from the editor of uh, Partnership Magazine. Familiar with Partnership? It's the... uh, women's counterpart to Leadership Magazine for Wives in Ministry. Uh, Ruth Center is the editor down at the CTI offices in Wheaton. And uh, 
What they do is they interview pastor couples and they put nice smiley pastors on the front of each issue, every one. And uh, so they called Noel and said, would you and John be willing to have me and a photographer come up to Minneapolis and interview you and take pictures and you'd be on the magazine? And uh, she said, well, I'll ask him. And uh, it just so happened that things were rotten at home. They weren't good. I was very unhappy. She was unhappy. Unresolved tensions, upset with each other. And my response to her question, should we call her, was absolutely not. We're not going to do that. I would be the most inauthentic, unreal person in the world to pose as a model pastor's couple for the front of Partnership Magazine with a nice big smile on my face when things are the way they are right now. Well, what are we going to do? Somebody's got to call her. I'll call her. What would you have done? What would you have said? You know, the, the CTI offices, there's Leadership Magazine, there's Christianity Today, there's Partnership. They're all there in one little office right outside. We know I've got a lot of friends down there. And uh, what, what would they say? If Ruth Center says, uh, there's trouble in the Piper household up in Minneapolis, they, we can't even do an interview with them. And then the rumor starts spread, oh, another leader is coming down. Another marriage is breaking up. Well, that makes it sound like a small thing to you. That's one of the hardest phone calls I ever made to Ruth Center and said, Ruth, we can't do it. No way. Utter inauthentic for me to do that. And she said, well, thanks. I appreciate your honesty and hung up. That's it. That's all I've heard. No happy ending to that story. And uh, some of you have taken some risks recently and, and uh, in your relationships, and you're the better for it. Others of you are hurting yourselves real bad and the cause of Christ by bottling up inside something you need to deal with and need help with. And I commend to you uh, the risk that I think these texts call for. Some grudge, perhaps, where you need reconciliation, some failure, some habit, some remorse. May the Lord give us wisdom this morning to discern between the difference between a kind of uh, unhealthy fascination with self-revelation. That's not what I'm talking about. Nobody likes that. And on the other hand, a wholesome, courageous, biblical willingness to risk being authentic and real and dealing with what you're dealing with. The, James must mean something when he said, confess your sins to one another. That's the first area, maybe the most tough. Second area is money. The Bible calls you this morning to take risks with your money for the cause of the gospel. I believe this with all my heart. I don't mean risks to get rich. I don't mean risks to make your bank account grow. I mean risks for the cause of the gospel, to maximize your money for use in the cause of righteousness and the gospel. Now, where do I get this? I get it right here in Luke 21 from verses 1 to 4. It's a story just before our text. 
Luke records it. Why does he? Let's read it and see. Verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. He saw a poor widow put in two copper coins and he said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all the living that she had. Now what does that mean? How would you paraphrase that? Here's the way I would paraphrase it. The rich people took no risks with their money. The widow took a big risk with her money. And she got the commendation. God means for us to risk our money for the cause of the gospel. When a man in chapter 12 chose security instead of risk with his money, Jesus looked at him and said, you're a fool. And Jesus said never to call anybody a fool. He couldn't have used a stronger word. The man said, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, don't risk your ease. Keep a thick pad to fall on at 65. Don't risk your ease. Whatever you do, don't give away money. Jesus says, you're a fool, man. You are a fool. Tonight your soul will be required of you. You want to know how to be a fool? Keep your money. You want to know how to be wise? Set a moderate, simple, wartime lifestyle and give it away as the Lord brings it in. God doesn't mind if you make a lot of money. John Wesley said, make as much as you can and give as much as you can. As long as you are a pipe coated with copper and not gold, he will let it flow. Right into your hands, right out of your hands. Your needs will be met and millions of other needs will be met. But if you say, I'm going to keep my ease and take no risk with my money... It will clog like the Dead Sea and ruin your life. And Jesus will say in the end, you were a fool. God calls us to risk for the gospel with our money. A few verses later in Luke 12, he said, don't be anxious about what you should eat or drink or what you should put on. Seek the kingdom. And a few verses later, he says, Uh, Sell your possessions, give alms, purchase yourself a purse that doesn't grow old and treasure that does not fail in heaven. Again and again, Jesus drives it home with his apostles. He's just relentless in saying, don't keep it, don't keep it, don't keep more than you need. Give, 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 free yourself, don't be a fool. Well, let's not be fools at Bethlehem. We are called today to risk, risk with our money. If you don't tithe, at least, that's a good place to start risking. Some of you look puzzled. Well, you never dreamed you could give away a tenth of your money. I think tithing is a contemporary, middle-class American way of robbing God. Tithing is a good place to start. And if you say, you couldn't afford it then I just suggest you go back to Luke 21.4 and meditate long and hard about why Jesus told this story. Third, witnessing to the grace of God is an area of risk. I get it from Luke 21.12-13. They will lay their hands on you and persecute you 
and deliver you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And then here it comes. This will be a time for you to bear testimony. Isn't that amazing? You see what he's saying? He's saying, you know why I'm going to allow my precious disciples for whom I died to be arrested and killed? So they can testify. Do you know why they were arrested? So they could witness to jailers, wardens, judges, governors. You know, we may not like the strategy of the king of kings for how to strew his salt in the empire into the hard to reach places. But let's not question his wisdom. He is God. And if he says, I'm going to get a witness into the jails by getting some of my people arrested, that's his business. The point to make it relevant for every one of us in this easy-to-live-in America is this. And I think this is a, a genuine deduction from this verse. Anytime you find your life in a place you never planned, with all your uh, choices wrecked and a catastrophe as far as you can see it with your schedule and your location, I think you can know for a certainty one of God's purposes for your being there. And it is very simply verse 13. This is a time to bear testimony. Why am I in the hospital, for goodness sake? What did I do? You're there to bear testimony. Why did my car break down so that I'm in the middle of Ohio on the way to Pennsylvania to be at my grandmother's funeral and the block is broken? 1969, personal testimony. To bear testimony to some mechanics. There is not a thing that comes into your life by mistake if you are God's child. You find yourself in utterly unexpected circumstances your plan's shot. You didn't plan this day this way. Remember verse 13. This is a time not for self-pity, but to bear testimony. I know that every Christian in this room wants to bear testimony to the glory of the grace of God. I know it. But what you need is just a challenge not to wait until it's safe. Because this text says he doesn't mean for it to be safe. You see it? Some of you, they will kill. Or to paraphrase for our day, some of you, they will look at funny. Some of you, they will laugh at. Some of you, they will fire. Some of you, they will cluck their tongues. Some of you, they will talk about behind their back. Some of you, they might actually make your life hard. The point is, this text says, if you wait until it's safe to bear witness to the grace of God, you'll wait until doomsday because he doesn't mean for it to be safe. He means for it to cost. He means for you to take risks and not know whether they might ask a question that's too hard for you to answer. And if they do, then you say, if I perish, I perish. Isn't that freeing? Who cares if you get egg on your face? If you obey Jesus and have His smile. Oh, what freedom there is in the calling 
to risk in the area of witness. Now let me close with one other area. The area of mission venture or ministry venture. And this is really just a summary of all the others. Anytime God begins to lay on your heart some ministry that you might want to undertake, go somewhere, do something new you've never tried before, all of the, all of the threats come in. Well, what about relationship risks? And what about money risks? And what about, uh, uh, esteem and, 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 uh, health and, and actual my life and acceptance with others? And, and they all crowd in when ministry is at stake. But the Bible is very clear that God wants us to risk for the cause of ministry and how I want to encourage us as a church to be bold and brave and adventuresome and and, uh, visionary in our dreaming about taking risks in ventures of ministry. I took my four sons to the Twins game on Friday night. Good game. Pretty good game. I took a book along to read. Just between batters, between pitches, I mean. And innings. And uh, the book is The Kingdom Strikes Back by uh, Roberta Winter. And I read 50 pages. And uh, as a four home runs, 10 strikeouts, one over overthrow into the dugout. I, I, saw, I watched it, I promise. And, uh, but I tell you, the twins cannot hold a candle to Ralph and Roberta Winter's story. Not a candle. I had to work hard to keep looking up. And uh, just every time somebody hollered, oh, I'm supposed to be watching the game. <laughs> this book is a story of two people, a man and a woman, who at 50 years old, being employed in a prestigious chair of world missions at Fuller Seminary, quit. With no income, no organization behind them, no board of directors, but a burden and a vision. They knew something that 40 million evangelicals still, by and large, don't know. Namely, that if all the missionaries in the world succeed at what they're doing, half the population of the world will be unreached with the gospel. Because they are in people groups that are not being ministered to by missionaries currently. They knew that. And they knew Jesus. And they said, somebody has got to do something to get the attention of the Christian world. That there are two billion people out there who won't be reached even if all the mission agencies succeed. We don't know if it's going to take a school, an organization, an institution. We don't know, but we've got to do something. We'll quit. He went to a businessman, got $15,000, went to the board of directors of Nazarene College there in Pasadena who left their campus empty and there was a uh, Hindu group in there. And they went to the board of directors and said, I got $15,000 here. I'd like to buy the option to buy this campus for $8.5 million. And they gave it to him. He had nothing to, with which to buy this campus. He just said, there are 40 million evangelicals out there. We'll get to them and uh, we'll buy this campus and we'll make a U.S. Center for World Mission. And God loves to bless that kind of risk. And I call you to it with all my heart. Dan Lane took a risk. It was all written up in World Christian in the last issue with some others buying the international house. That's not an easy thing to do for a young man just out of college recently. Buy a big house that has 18 apartments in it and hope that God will fill them up with international students so that the rent can be paid. That's what we're talking about when we talk about risking money for the cause of the gospel. Well, you can only be killed. 
Here we sit with David Livingston on the platform, a candidate for pastor, for pastoral care. And he's not in the budget for 1987. How, how do we know we can pay for David Livingston? The budget's already been booted up 20% this year. For that matter, how did we know we could pay when we added Dean, Shar, Kurt, Steve, David Michael? How did we know we could make it when three years ago we bumped the budget 35% ahead in one year? How did we know we could pay for a $20,000 apprenticeship program to equip seminarians? How did we know we could raise the budget 20% this year and keep the mission section at 30%? You know what the answer to that is? We didn't and we can't and God does not intend for us to know. And I believe that with all my heart. God does not intend for us to know what we can afford in ministry. He intends for us to get the world on our heart and risk our money for the cause of the gospel. You can only be killed. He intends for his people to risk face, reputation, money, life for something important, not ease. Not security. I talked a couple of weeks ago with a board member of another conference church in these twin cities. And he said their pastor is so overworked. They'd had a board meeting with him. He needs another staff member. He has nobody to work with him. And he was out 20 nights out of the month that week. And they wanted to help him. But the board decided that since they had this new boiler and uh, it wasn't a real winter to test it last winter. They're going to wait until there's another real winter so that they can tell what their utilities will be and whether they can afford to add staff to that church. I tell you, if the mentality of that board does not change, that church is cooked. God has no cotton for such tidy caution. He does not approve of it in the ministry. God approves of those who say with William Carey, Expect great things from God and attempt great things for God before you know whether He will come through in the way you're expecting. I don't know whether the money will come through this year. If you wait until you know, if you wait until success is here in your back pocket, you don't need God anymore. Oh, I call you. I call you to join me in risking money and life and reputation for the cause of the gospel. Well, I close with what I promised last week, a word for the Long Range Planning Committee. It's just a series of questions and a conclusion. Is the vision of God that we cherish and savor at Bethlehem holy, sovereign, Free, merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love? Is that vision of God worth all our love and effort and strength and might and hope and zeal and time and energy? Second question. Are we committed to instill and support this vision of God into each other through pastoral care and love and the nurture of our children for the next generation? Third question. 
Are we committed with all our might and all our heart and all our soul and all our mind to spread this vision through this city and to the unreached peoples of this world until Jesus comes? And if the answer to those three questions is a resounding yes, then brothers, let us put our hand to the plow and stop looking back. Let us no longer waver. Let us say with William Carey, God's going to do a great thing. Therefore, let us attempt a great thing. And may the Lord do what seems good to him. Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, as we stand together in your presence now as your people and lift our hands in hope and expectation to you, work a great work to deliver your people. Lord, we go back to the table now as we close and remind ourselves that the blood is at the bottom. Oh, how we love the blood of the Savior. We're such sinners, such needy people. And we love to cleanse our hearts and wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb and stand white before you, free and accepted. And then we cherish your covenant that you will never leave us or forsake us, but will work for us and bring us to glory. And then we delight in the assurance that when all around our soul gives way, you then are all our hope and stay. And now, O oh God, the fourth level is what I'm pleading for. Make us a risking people. And if we perish, we perish. Do what seems good to you. Amen.